He is amazing. Amen? Yeah. If we can agree on that, then we're a long ways down the road together, aren't we? How, how powerful uh, this time of worship has been. And uh, I, I have to tell you, I, I, um, I, I really appreciate uh, Chris uh, stopping in the middle of the song to uh, tune his guitar. Instead of just pressing through, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many times that I've, um, you know, you, 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 like, we probably ought to do what he did. Because many times when we come uh, to worship on Sunday, we're just like, we're just pressing through, you know, and we're singing songs and, or not, or just kind of like staring, looking around, everything. And all of a sudden, we just need to go, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm not even doing what I'm here to do which is to worship God, right? Which is to call on Him, which is to look to Him, which is to really engage with Him. That's been so many times, like, when I've been, like, even in my personal prayer time, I'm praying, and I'm, like, uh, you know, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm going through stuff, and all of a sudden I realize my heart is not even present. You ever been there? And so I have to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is out of tune, right? And I need to like then tune my heart to pay attention to what I'm doing, right? Okay? So sometimes I'm worshiping right here and, uh, and I'm, I'm singing the song. I'm not even worshiping. You know why? Because I'm like thinking off somewhere else like you do sometimes, <laughs> right? Right? And, and I have to go, oh, God, I repent. I'm here like singing these songs filled with these amazing words of good news. You know, you're the breath in my lungs. And I'm going, I'm not even like picturing what that is. And they have to repent, right? Lynette and I were talking, and I've said it several times before, but repentance has saved our lives, right? Like, you can just keep going down the one, the one road, and it's all, you know, unengaged or disengaged but if we repent and agree to follow Jesus actually some amazing things can happen within our lives so I just want to like tell you that we don't have to be caught in a form of godliness that has no power we can be brought into a relationship with Jesus Father Son and Holy Spirit a relationship with him that is filled with power to transform our, our lives, our families, our churches, our group, our group communities, our nation. Amen? So it's, it's all possible, but it calls for us to a lot of times midstream say, wait, 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 wait. This is like incredibly out of tune here. And it has nothing to do with whether you're tone deaf or not in singing these songs. It has everything to do with what's going on in your heart, Right? So why don't you, let's just, let's just make a practice of, of strategically stopping and repenting anywhere along the way in our gathered times or in our, in our walk out in, from this place where we spend most of our time amongst family and friends and at work and school and stuff. Let's just make a habit of just going, <laughs> time out, right? I got to just set things right here. So that's what I hope we can do today. 
as we're talking about, from God's word, some really strategic things. Coming up for the next two months, we're going to deal with this whole matter of being made for more. You're made for more. Um, I want to put some definition to that in, in, in Scripture and in the teaching of Jesus um, as, we, as we look at some really key areas. Um, so a lot of us live under the myth of scarcity. A lot of us just believe that there's just not enough. And our whole, our, the anxiety in our lives is, is fueled by this. We, um, we're distracted. We're, we're going a million different directions. Uh, we let everybody else be Lord over our lives except the one true Lord. We're captivated by this and that in the hopes of just, you know, get, getting a jump, getting an edge, getting ahead in some way, you know, trying to manage. But what happens is that when the self is in charge, when the self is leading the charge, then we end up being fearful, anxious, disconnected, unfulfilled, um, sabotaging our, our, our own desires, which would be for, for peace, for efficiency, for our effectiveness. And so what I want to call us to over these, and I feel like God is wanting to call us to this. If I could be so bold as to say, I think that God is calling us to live into that which is more, that which is much more. So overcoming then the myth of scarcity along with fear, unbelief, and self-centeredness, which are, you know, major players in this, and entering into uh, the reality of God's abundance. And there's three areas we're going to deal with that over the next few weeks. Today is not one of them. Today is sort of an introduction to it. But um, we're going to enter into uh, understanding the abundance of, of, of God's love, uh, the abundance of, of time, and, and the abundance of provision, God's provision. Because oftentimes we say, well, I just, I just don't have... I just don't have the emotional capacity to do that, right? I just, I'm, I'm out of love. I mean, somebody else can love those people. Somebody else can, you know, I'm like at the end of myself. So we live by the, the scarcity, right? Rather than realizing there's an abundance of love, three arenas of God's great abundance, the abundance of love. So we want to learn how to expand our emotional capacity, the abundance of time, we're always saying, oh, I don't have enough time. How many of you said that already this year? Don't have enough. You've thought it anyway, right? I don't have enough time. And yet there is an abundance of time, God's abundance, and we want to expand our missional availability, right? Be available to God. And we want to, we want to understand that with God, there's an abundance of resources. We want to expand our generosity aptitude. We want to expand this because there's, there are enough resources to do what God's called us to do, called you to do in your life, in your family, which he's called, he has called you to do in his mission. There is enough love. There's enough time. There are enough resources. All right? But we're told throughout our entire culture, and we practice it pretty much, the liturgy of scarcity. And we always end up being anxious and afraid, and rather atrophied in our walk with God. So uh, we want to address these things. And I'm really excited about it because 
Think of what it would look like to live under the abundance of God in your life. And what, what joy would be released in you? How much, how much victory would happen in your life if you were not dominated by fear or anxiety and were just released to live as a child in the kingdom of God? You know, kind of like children do, because they like, my kids, when we were, you know, you know, raising them and, and all, they, they didn't worry, you know, about there being food on the table, because I worried about it, no, because there was someone providing, right? And we want to learn how to live in that kind of provision and extravagance of God's amazing grace, grace upon grace, right? Amen. Amen. But first, we need to set some things in order. So we're going to set something in order today, all right? We're going to challenge you as individuals, as families, as group uh, life communities, as a church. I want to challenge you to set something in order today. And in order to get to that, we're going to read two passages of Scripture that help us understand this. The first is found, we're going to follow, in following Jesus into 2020, which I think would be a pretty good idea. I want to at least start out on the right path, right? All right, <laughs> let's agree to that, right? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start on the wrong path. So there, right? I mean, nobody wants to do that. So here we are, following Jesus into this year and this decade, right? So the first is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, the only recorded event of the life of Jesus between his infancy and his baptism, all right? The only one. So here it is. And in these verses, we find these words. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Actually, the word means they were like, ticked well i you know maybe we don't want to i mean joseph and mary they're so holy you don't want to assign them anything but actually i've been looking for you for three days now doesn't that bother you as a parent well it depends on which child right (laughs) however been looking for you right for three days we've been searching for you and uh and so um they said the mother his mother mary said son Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. So, what what an amazing event, right? Uh, The child Jesus, he's growing up, he's 12 years old, just like 
Now, now for us, it would have been like he was 13 because that's when, oh, he's becoming a teenager, right? 13 years old, right? Uh, but for them, 12 years old. 12 years old was a significant time. And so at 12 years of age, man, something, something is going on. And he stays back, unbeknownst to them, and he's in the temple. And uh, they'd gone for the Passover, which was a big deal. So it was costly to them, right? Because Joseph, likely a self-employed carpenter, uh, taking, you know, what, eight days off to go to the Passover celebration, leaving his business, not working for, for you know, eight days at least, not including the travel, and then leaving their livestock and their stuff, the little animals that they had, and, and then, you know, coming and doing this. I mean, it was a big sacrifice. And Mary didn't stay at home to take care of things. She had a priority. Like, she could have stayed. Like, probably many women did stay. But she, like, she, no, I want to go Passover. I want to go celebrate this. I want to be in on this. And so she goes. And um, they're, they're, they're committed. And so there's, here's together two things. There's, there's the Passover celebration which is a big deal, right, about the deliverance from God's hand of power, delivering them from Egypt. And then, and then the temple, the temple where, the, where Jesus is found, addressing uh, these, these uh, teachers of the law and the scholars. He's 12 years old, answering and asking questions. It's pretty unnerving, not only that he can't answer, but he's asking you questions that you go, hmm, right? Um. Why are you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I, I think that happens a lot. Jesus says something, and we go, I don't understand this. What's really sad, though, is many times Jesus says something, and we go, oh, yeah, I understand that. And we go, yeah, probably not. Probably not. There's so much more to understand, right? Why? Why were you searching for me? Or how, how is it that you did not know? Or, or didn't you understand that, that I had to be in my, this is where I needed to be, in my father's house. Or more, even more precisely, I, I had to be about my father's business. The word house is not in the original task. It says, didn't you know I had to be about the things pertaining to my father? I had to be about the things of my father. This is, this is, this is why I came, in a sense. There's like... Um, a messianic, like the Messiah. This is like a, a messianic consciousness beginning to dawn on him at the age of 12. Um, this is my father's house. I mean, this is like an incredible statement. My father's house. And I had to be about his affairs. I mean, his, of his affairs mattered to me more than anything else. At 12 years old, he says, I need to be here. It's interesting, though. It also says that when they went home, he was obedient to them. And he, and he grew in stature. I mean, he grew up, you know, into a 30-year-old man the next time we see him. But always there was within him then, from this point on, we can assume that there was this a deep awareness that he had to be about his father's affairs. I, I just want to, I'll just give this as a little side note. As he was there with those uh, scholars uh, in the temple, uh, they probably didn't really understand that they were in the presence of the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Hello. <laughs> uh, just to put this on a horizontal level a little bit, I just want to say, don't assume you know who you're with. Because the 
person that you're presently with may be, in fact, someone through whom God is working or shall work in ways that would astound you. I think about how many 12-year-olds I've met in my many years of ministry and where they are and what they're doing today, and I'm just astounded, you know. Some of them have actually died serving Christ in foreign countries. Some of them have been instrumental in major acts of compassion and work. Others have brought friend after friend to Jesus Christ. And I knew them as a 12-year-old. And, well, you know how you can think about people. I just want to tell you that God is at work in the lives of 12-year-olds. So, pray for those little people. Amen? All right. I don't know, 21 years later. 21 years later, there's another event where he shows up at the temple. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 through 17. It's during Passover, and it's at the temple. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I just want to say, that's so interesting. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Oh, you don't know where Nazareth is. Well, it's so obscure, I have to tell you, it's in Galilee. You know, when I talk to you, we just visited our daughter near Los Angeles. When I talked to you, I said, you know, we we were down in Los Angeles, California. Like, I don't need to say California, do I? Right, because it's known. But if I said to you, uh, we were in Atwater, California. That's a town in California. You didn't know that, did you? Some of you did. But Nazareth, oh, it's in Galilee. Oh, Galilee. Like, it's so obscure. Who is this, right? He's coming in. It's like the triumphal entry. He's just come in, riding on a donkey, you know. People are saying, Hosanna. King is here, you know, and all this. And then he goes, it says here, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, Lord, you have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. And by the way, just five days later he would be crucified. It says here that the whole city was shaken. The word is is the word from which we get our word seismic, right? So the whole city was shaken. Jerusalem was last moved like that. At Christmas when the Magi were looking for the newborn king. They went and they asked Herod, you know. They said, hey, we're looking for the newborn king. It says that the whole city was shaken, right? 
Here's another event of the city was shaking at the event of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It would be shaken again when Jesus died on the cross, right? And the graves would have been ripped open, temple curtain torn. And it would be shaken again at the resurrection of Jesus. So this is not an insignificant event. The city is shaking. It's, it's kind of like uh, Matthew is telling us the whole city's emotional reaction to Jesus' entry. And he goes and he enters into the temple and, and there's a sudden display of priorities, of the priorities of Jesus. Like <laughs> the sudden display of the priorities of Jesus. He walks in and it says that he began to cast out the money changers and those selling animals in the temple court. Uh, by the way, the word cast out is the same word that was used when it says that he cast out demons. Same word. He exorcised. Not exercise, exorcised them from the temple courts. As if to say, this has absolutely no place. Because it's covering up what this is for. He says he cast them out of the temple court. This meek and gentle Jesus declared something powerful. That this place was to be a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. Right? My house shall be called a house of prayer. And it's for all nations. We learn this. This is a quote that's coming out of, out of Isaiah. It is, it's, it's just not for just the just the in people just just the those born jewish is for all nations so you had the court you know you, you some of you know this you had the most the most the holy of holies that the priest could go into only once a year uh, to make atonement for all the sins of the people right um, and then there was the the uh, holy place, you know, where sacrifices took place. And then back there was the court of the men, court of the women, court of the Gentiles. And so this was a place. And this is where all the trading was happening. It's just the court of the Gentiles. It's just for foreigners and immigrants and refugees. And, you know, it's just like, so it, it's not as important as, you know. And so Jesus, like, he was just furious. He was furious. That this place of prayer should be turned into commerce and and should drown out the prayers of the foreigners foreign to Israel who had decided that they wanted to be followers of the one true God. Right? We had kind of an interesting thing happen on Christmas Eve. I don't I don't have names, so I don't know who it is, but somebody in our church decided, we had the manger uh, without a baby in it, right? Because of various reasons, right? Some people really want to see a baby in the manger. So someone grabbed a, a white baby doll and put it in the manger. And when I came on Christmas Eve, the first service, I was up there and I looked down and said, there's a baby in the manger. Who put the baby in the manger? And I, my, my immediate thing is that Jesus was not a white baby. Jesus was not a white baby. Je- Christ is not, a, he's not a white Messiah. He's the Messiah for all nations, amen? He's the Messiah for everybody, right? And so I said, you know, I said, 
we got to get that baby out of the manger, right? And there were already people coming. What are you going to do, right? Jared said, I'll go get the baby, our youth pastor. So he came down, and he stole baby Jesus. <laughs> right? When there were visitors coming for the Christmas Eve service, he walked up, took baby Jesus, right? White baby Jesus, right out of there. And uh, we don't know. He's never been seen <laughs> since. But here's the deal, man. It's for all nations. He's just like, he's for all nations. He's not the American Jesus. He's also the African Jesus. He is the American Jesus, but he's the white Jesus. For white, for black, for all. Amen? He's for all, right? Jesus was furious. This place that was for all nations had been, had been like compromised. And he was to have nothing of it. They had never seen Jesus behave like this. It touched a chord in him because he was the savior of the whole world. The whole world. Every people, every tribe, every language, every ethnicity. The whole world. Amen. And so, uh, he drives them out. And, and he says that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into something else. Uh, what was interestingly, uh, interesting about this is that they had, had by, by design or by default, I, it was probably by default, because a lot, of th- a lot of the drift that happens happens simply because we just, we were ignorant, we were unaware. That's why I said, I'm glad that Chris tuned his guitar because we need to tune our lives because if we don't, we will also drift. So a lot of times it was just by drift. It's just like, it just sort of began to happen that way. And, and in that process, here's what, here's what Jesus began to see. It, it began to be a place, for instance, you have made it a den of robbers. Where does that come from? It comes from, it comes from Jeremiah Chapter 7, and in Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11, it says this. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incense to Baal, the false gods, and follow other gods you have not known? And then will you come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, whew, we're safe. We're safe to do all the things that we always do. In other words, what was happening is that people were living immoral lives outside, but coming in and saying, whew, at least God loves me. At least now I can make a sacrifice for my sins. But then when we left that place, because there was no prayer happening, then they would go out and live lives unchanged by that event and that time in the temple. So this is like very important, right? Extraordinarily important for us to understand. This is a house of prayer. If it's not a house of prayer, if our own lives are not like that, then we can come, we can do our duty, and we can leave the same. If it isn't a house of prayer, if prayer is not the central function in our relationship with God, personally and together with one another, then we can come and leave the same, self-fulfilled instead of God-shaped. And that's the whole point. The whole point is not to be self-fulfilled. The point is to be God-shaped. This is what prayer does. So he asked the question, what is the father's business? The father's business. I must be about my father's business. What did he then declare to be the father's business? Everything that you see going on in this particular passage. Prayer. 
father's business. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. An inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And children singing <laughs> and in effect enacting the victory of God over the powers of darkness. I, I love it that the, um, the blind and the lame came to the temple right after that. I'm glad that's recorded there, right? It's like once everything was cleared and the priority was declared, then, then who starts being just touched deeply by the compassion of Jesus? The blind and the lame. The people who are just like, whew, I need this Messiah. I need this Jesus more than anything else. I need healing in my life. I need healing in my life. Having all, you know, just, you know, making making all the exchanges, you know, for all the correct sacrifices and going through all the forms. Uh, that's not, that may have a place. But listen, what I need is what this temple is meant to bring. What this Jesus, what this embodiment of the presence of the eternal God brings to me. Healing. And then the children broke out and singing with so much praise to God. It just infuriated the religious leaders, the senior pastors, and the college professors. Is there anything happening in your life or our life together that would cause the children to sing? Is there anything of Jesus going on? Where it causes the lame to walk and the blind to see, the brokenhearted to be healed, the poor receive the good news. My heart cries out for that, doesn't it? Doesn't yours? You, you cry out. You cry out for this. You desire this for the messianic banquet to be enacted, for the healer king to be present in power, for children to break into singing, enacting the means by which the enemy is defeated through Jesus Christ. The Father's business, you know what it is? It is prayer. That is the Father's business. So, I, well, I just, a long time ago, and you've heard me say this, but I was so impacted decades ago now, but since we're starting a new decade, let's just make it real current, Right? is that a lot of times there's not much praise because there's not much power. There's not much power because there's not much prayer. There's not much prayer because there's not much purity. Right? So what I would like to you in this Father's Business year, I, I would like for you to go with me into this. Follow Jesus into 2020, and I'd like for us to declare this to be a year of prayer. Along with fasting. Usually we have an all-church fast that begins somewhere in this first quarter of the year. This year we're going to begin it at the beginning, uh, near the beginning of the Lenten season. We're going to start on March 1st. We're going through March 21st. That will be our 21-day all-church fast. But instead of just getting there and suddenly trying to start something, we're just going to begin practicing prayer and fasting. And so I'm going to invite you into this for this year. If this is his business... If this is what he is concerned about when he looks at us, then let's become this. 
in the last year, I've, I've kind of learned to say something about Scripture. So when I see something that is the desire of Jesus, why wouldn't I want to give Jesus what he desires? If Jesus is Lord, why wouldn't I? If Jesus said, love your enemies, then why wouldn't I want to say, okay, I don't know how to do that, but I'll learn. Teach me, Lord, how to love my enemies. Why? Why? Because, I want it, because in love with Jesus, I want to give to Jesus what he desires. Right? If I say to my wife, I say, I know what you desire, but you know what? I'm not going to do it. And she will go, well, I'm going to love you anyway. Maybe. No, it's, I give, like, give to Jesus what he desires. Can he say it any more clearly? He desires this for us. So, so the call for us today is, is to let him lead us in this. And, and what will follow will be these very themes that we begin to see even in this text, in this story. So declaring this year to be a year of prayer with fasting, our annual church fast on March 1st through 21st. I'm going to try to give you some teaching and training about it as we go all the way up to that. We're going to practice it. There will be prayer gatherings, one beginning on Thursday night, January the 16th. You can mark it down. You'll hear more about it. January the 16th, 7 o'clock. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Here's what I'd like to invite you to this week. All right? Are you ready? This is like, this is just practice. This is practice. So I'm going to name a day, and I'm going to invite you into some things. If you cannot, absolutely cannot do it that day, pick some day this week. All right? All right? Here it is. So on Wednesday, I invite you to fast one meal and spend that time instead in prayer. If you eat fast and your meals are done in 10 minutes, let it go. Spend 10 minutes in prayer. You will not die, likely. If you're diabetic, take a little something, right? But listen, I invite you into this. What if, what if like 100% of the people, I'm going to aim high, right? 100% of us gathered here this morning say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take Wednesday or someday this week. But, but on Wednesday, I'm going to take one meal that normally I would eat, I'm going to take that meal, I'm going to get away, I'm going to spend some alone time with God or spend some time in prayer with some other people and I am going to pray this scripture. And here's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm going to invite you to say, King Jesus, come in to this temple of my life and to the temple of our fellowship together and I'm going to ask you to clean out what is not of you. So you just, just say, I want you to do that. Now, you don't have to. Maybe you already know what that is. Maybe you don't. So you just ask him. You're just like you're giving him carte blanche, right? You just say, you can come in. You can do anything that you want. Anything that you want. I'm yours. In, in, in the days of the, of the priests, when people would come and consecrate their offerings to the Lord, the Hebrew word for consecrate has to do with, with uh, filling up one's hands. So the priest would go like this, and the, and the worshiper would come with, with, with their offering, and they would fill up the priest's hands with the offering. Paul said in Romans, So I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, in view of all the mercies of God, to present your bodies, you're walking around your whole life, you're walking around breathing, you know, life. To take, bring your whole life to God as a living sacrifice. Just fill up his hands with your life. So you're saying to him, I'm, I'm yours. My life is yours. My business is yours. My family is yours. My dreams, my ambitions, 
my deficiencies. I like giving him all my weaknesses. Everything that I have, it's yours. I'm going to fill up your hands with my life. It's all yours right now. Right? So what you can do, you can just ask God to clean house so that you are, you're going to be fully devoted to him. You don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means, but you're willing and you let him interpret that into your life, right? So you're going to ask him. You're going to say, hey, clean house, right? You're going to pray this, this, this story. Clean house. And then you're going to say to him, uh, I pray for your ministry, Jesus, to be loosed into my life and through my life. So come and heal what is broken, but also use my hands and my heart, my eyes to loose you know, to loose what is like um, in bondage and to heal what is broken. Uh, so help, then, so help. And you can do that. You can pray that with your family, with your friends. Pray it with your spouse. Pray that with, the, the, you know, those close to you. Just like come together. Pray this in your group life. Pray this. Any opportunity you get, right? Throughout the whole week. But on Wednesday, one day, one time when we are fasting and praying together and just say god help us to know how to be about your business your business i I, let me just wrap it up by saying this here's this prayer shapes our lives prayer shapes our lives it's like one person said, it's the unselfing, it's the unselfing of our lives, the unselfing of our families, the unselfing of the church, the unselfing of the nation, the unselfing of society begins and continues and is completed when we pray. When we pray. I like uh, what Eugene Peterson said, the only way to get out of the cramped world of the ego and into the large world of God without denying or suppressing or mutilating the ego is through prayer. By prayer. So God is calling us into a place of prayer. The resurrection of Jesus, said N.T. Wright, is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to colonize the earth with the life of heaven. That is, after all, what the Lord's Prayer is about, right? Colonize the life on earth with the realities of heaven. Come, kingdom of God, your will on earth as in heaven.